Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ear Hammer Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Ear Hammer Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Crooked. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Joe Hansen, local musician, songwriter, guitar player extraordinaire, bass player, amongst many other talents. Be sure to check out Ear Hammer Records on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the YouTube channel. Please subscribe, share, it really helps, and I appreciate it. To support the show in addition to that, and the record label, you can become a patron of the Ear Hammer Podcast Patreon account. Donate and get label merch sent to you. Shirts, stickers, maybe some hoodies. Um, yeah, it's a good way to support the podcast and the record label. Appreciate all of you that have already become Patreon members. And for those of you that are going to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Check it out. My guest today is Joe Hansen. So, hi, Joe. Hey, Billy. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So, you know, we'll kind of kick this thing off with getting to know you a little bit. So, Joe, I I gave you a little bit of an intro as guitar player, songwriter, bass player. Did I miss anything? It was mostly accurate. Yeah. Uh, I think bassist would have been too far, you know, like bass player. It's like, you know, it kind of leaves a little distance there. It's like you haven't mastered the bass, but like you can, you can like tune it and (laughs) you know how the E string works. You're selling yourself short right now, (laughs) my man. So currently what you're doing is you're, you're playing bass in a band called Mud Whale. Is that right? That is correct. Um, yeah, I always hate trying to genre tag my own band, but it's kind of in the indie rock. Um, there's a little bit of hardcore in there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, how long have you been with the band uh, Mud Whale? Oh, man. So 2019, I, uh, I was perusing Craigslist, as one does, you know. And uh, yeah, I come across this band. I was looking to play bass in a band at the time. Um, cause my brilliant brain was like, well, I want to get better at bass. I had bought a bass and I needed to justify the purchase. And so I was like, well, I'll just join a band and say that I play bass. And then, you know, I'll, I'll over time, I actually will play bass. And so, yeah, I, um, met up with these guys at the time we were called soot sprites. Mm. Um, that's a reference to the film spirited away because we're a bunch of nerds mm-hmm. and, um, so yeah, met up with them. It was just good vibes the whole time, uh, joined up. And then obviously that thing happened in 2020 and, uh, kind of as for all artists, it put a, put a hold on things. Um, but we used that time to record an album. It's called everything in moderation. Um, and then, yeah, we went through lineup changes. Um, yeah, it was a transformative couple of years there. Um, I feel like I've known you for a while now, a few years, and yeah. I didn't realize you were with that band that long. Yeah, it's weird to think about because it's like 2020, mm-hmm. like that year 
Did it happen? Like, it, I don't know. That It, it kind of didn't happen. So it, it's sort of like, I feel like I met you like last year, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, it's been, you know, it's been a lifetime. Like, yeah. We grew up together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So I guess that's, yeah, going on year three. And then, yeah, we go by the name Mud Whale now. There was a soot sprite in uh, England. Oh, yeah. Which is not technically a legal issue if you're in different countries and stuff you have some leeway but we reached out to them and they were like the nicest people of all time and so we were like all right we'll we'll change the name (laughs) oh good (laughs) on you guys for not you know putting up a fight for that like it just would have been a pain for everyone because like someone goes to listen to one of you and they end up with the other and like the genres aren't even similar so like yeah it was just it was better for everyone and uh the name is like, the problem with Soot Sprite is everyone mispronounced it because no one can pronounce the word S-O-O-T. For, oh. We got called the Soot Sprites a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Mud Whale is pretty, that's pretty, like, visceral. It's pretty easy to understand. So, it's been good. Um, and, yeah, we have a, a new drummer and guitar player, um, Avery and Justin, and uh, we just did a promo shoot to... Uh, they've they've been in the band for a while now, but we were too lazy to get a photo shoot done. <laughs> so finally, it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels more official now. <laughs> photo but, shoots are never all that fun to set up and do, but it's essential. You gotta you gotta show your face and show well, people who you are. You know? I gotta tell you, some of these photographers in Cleveland, um, they've made it really easy. As a kid, I always hated having my picture taken, and you gotta do like the fake smile and whatever, and um, yeah, we've worked with them with some great folks here. Uh, we worked with a photographer named Jill this time. Um, if you go on Mud Whale's Instagram, you'll, we, we give her the credits and everything you can find her. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a breeze and, uh, yeah, for the last, you know, six months or so, the whole thing's just been going really smoothly. You know, uh, Justin and Avery have been great additions and, um, yeah, gigs have been going really well. The Support in the Cleveland scene is amazing. Um, I have kind of a unique perspective because I'm an outsider. Um, You know, I only moved here about five years ago. And, yeah, coming to Cleveland, I just didn't expect much. (laughs) No no offense to Cleveland, but, you know, I was coming from Philly and... Well, a lot of trash talk about about Cleveland uh, out in the world. So you you know if you that's what you have to go on, you just assume it's going to be horrible, right? That's it. And but you know I got a job out here, so I was like, All right, I'll give it a try. You know whatever. And it's just like it's a great town. Um, yeah, everyone's really supportive. And what I tell people a lot is coming from Philly. Like Philly has everything, kind of both good and bad. Cleveland has almost everything that Philly has, but you don't deal with a lot of the, the pains of living in like a huge city. Um, and the number one thing I'd say in terms of the music scene is, uh, the pay to play stuff that goes on. I haven't seen that once in Cleveland. You go to any big city and it's like, it's Mm. everywhere. So I just really like, um, you know, we, I've gotten to play at a bunch of the venues around here now. Um, you know, like Grog Shop, Coda, May Halls, um, Happy Dog, um, Winchester, now that's class. And I've just been treated well at every single venue. Um, 
it's weird when you get paid after a gig. I was like, man, no one told me that, like... <laughs> That's how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> when you start out, it's like, you know, there's no money in it or anything. Like, you're lucky if they even put you in the slot and tell you that you get to play for uh, for exposure or whatever. But sure. around here, yeah, I mean, the places pay, and, you know, and then obviously the crowds are just, like, so uh, receptive and... Um, People just come out. Yeah, know. Cleveland's a kick-ass city. It's who would have known? <laughs> yeah. So let's come back to the mud whale thing in a little in a little while. So cool. You ended up in Cleveland because of a job, and you moved here from Philly. But you're from the Seattle area, aren't you? Yeah, that's where I grew up as a kid. Um, so I was born in the state of Idaho. Mm. I've uh, I've heard every potato joke on the planet at this I, point thought it but i didn't say it so you're welcome <laughs> i wouldn't have been offended at this point because it's like yeah that kind of is what's in idaho <laughs> but uh yeah i i was born there i was just a baby and then yeah we moved out to seattle area um specifically olympia washington the capital mm-hmm. um yeah lived out there until i was like a teenager and then we moved out to philly area so did you so wait how old were you when you were in olympia See, Preteen? Not, yeah, it was like getting right at the cusp of the teens when I moved. So, what were you doing musically, if anything, at that <laughs> at that point? Yeah. So here's the weird thing: <laughs> is I until the age of whenever I discovered guitar, yeah, probably twelve or thirteen. I was agnostic to music. I remember when I was in like the fourth grade, maybe they asked who my favorite like music artist was and i just didn't have an answer oh wow yeah like nothing so i, I think i put elvis <laughs> that's a good answer nice uh you know 10 year old in whatever 2004 <laughs> and it's like yeah i think <laughs> elvis is my guy nice um but then yeah i had this there's this kid um he was uh from the netherlands and um I, I don't I think just because I've transplanted a whole bunch of my life, I've always been really comfortable with people who are from other countries because they're like the ultimate transplants. And so he and I like hit it off as, you know, twelve year olds or whatever. And his parents had bought him and his sisters a drum set and a, a guitar and probably a bass, because there were three of them. And we would just like just make noise, you know. Like we didn't know anything, but we would just sit there and like you know, bang the crap out of all the instruments and, and then it, sing like Elvis <laughs> over some noise and, mm. in my, in my 12-year-old falsetto <laughs> pre-puberty voice. Uh, but yeah, just had so much fun hitting those instruments that it was like, yeah, there's something there. And I think at the time I got into like Green Day because like American Idiot had just come out, which that album is just like, you know, if you're into like mid 2000s pop punk that's kind of one of the albums you know like jesus of suburbia and boulevard mm-hmm. of broken dreams and all that and so for that was just like mind-blowing for me i was like i've never heard anything like this in my life and so that really that's what like lit the spark or whatever really made me conscious of music oh cool and then that was so that was your, your little stint in seattle or Olympia. Oh, sorry. That was just after we had moved to Pennsylvania. I I got off track there. Okay. Um, So, so now, so jump to Philly, kind of what you were saying on or what you were saying. And I'll just throw this in real quick. Um, I had a friend, um, 
his uncle is Calvin Johnson, not the football player, <laughs> but in the um, in the Olympia scene. And Calvin um, was in a band called Beat Happening in the eighties, and that was basically at the time when like grunge was kind of in its primordial soup, you know. So like the Melvins were playing out in Aberdeen, you know. Kurt was at their garage shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, Calvin was really influential on that scene, and he saw everyone go through. You know, he knew Soundgarden, he knew <coughs> Nirvana, he knew, you know, all those guys. And I'm so frustrated because I didn't care about music. So it's, you know, it's like if, um, if like, Peyton Manning was your uncle or something, and you were like, yeah, I don't, I don't really watch football, you know? <laughs> like, sure. I, I, like yeah, I'm not really interested, you know? <laughs> It's now I look back on that. I'm like, ah, oh, what a gold mine. So anyways, yeah, yeah. Um, moved out to Philly and right after the move. Uh, and I wonder how much of that was like, you know, you move and you don't have any friends and it takes a while to meet other kids and stuff. And so I feel like being able to hit those instruments, it's like you can spend two hours a day doing that. And that kind of fills in for like the not not being with your buddies or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, there's probably something there, but. So is it your time in Philly? Is you're like in your you're become you're a teenager at this point, yeah. right? So is that when you start to discover more? Because yeah, and I can remember the moment like when everything changed. Like hearing Green Day for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, blew my twelve year old mind. But uh, we were taking a family trip out to San Diego, seeing some of our friends from Olympia. We were just meeting up down there, and um, my friend Andrew Shanafelt. We were like thirteen. He, for my birthday, I think, he got me a CD of Led Zeppelin 1. And, like, at that point, I'm sure we had listened to, like, classic rock radio. So I knew, like, rock and roll and, like, Black Dog and all that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just remember we were driving around San Diego. And, like, I would not let my parents take that CD out of the car. I was just like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the first moment where I was... It took it to a new level, you know, like you hear good times, bad times come on and you hear John Bonham's triplet pattern and you hear that guitar solo at the end where Jimmy Page runs it all the way down the neck and everything. And that taught me like, because Green Day was really cool, but Green Day, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, it sounds like music that like you could do without any proper training or anything. That's kind of a point, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Led Zeppelin, it was like, oh, wow, these guys are really good. And so that just made me want to play guitar like 24-7 nonstop. It's like a lot more technical where you're seeing like the musicianship obviously is shown in a different way, different light with something like Zeppelin. Where Green Day, I think their their magic comes from just the the songwriting, right? And the ability to play the professional enough to do what they do. But it's the songwriting, yeah. What you don't recognize when you – don't really play seriously is the level of like tightness of a band like green day. You know, it's not like I I said, you can just pick it up and do it, but you can't, you know, they're, Mm. they are on another level, but when you don't play, you don't hear that. It's like, it's like, you know, the same thing as like the Ramones. It's like, it takes a lot of talent to do what the Ramones do for sure. But it's got that energy of like, we're a bunch of kids and we barely play our instruments. It's almost like a facade in a way. Whereas with Led Zeppelin, there's no facade. Like you hear John Bonham play, and you're like, "Oh, I can't do that." <laughs> like, and sure. I could play for years, and I can't do that. And so that I think that's what flicked the switch was like the virtuoso element of it, 
Whereas Green Day, that's just not their vibe. They're going for a completely different vibe, if that makes sense. For sure. So that opens the floodgates. Like oh, what? Man. Where do you go musically from there? Yeah. <laughs> like that, so, so that you obviously that changed your thinking on, oh, on musicianship, man. right? So. Where does Joe Hansen go after that? So I'll give my parents some credit. Um, it was funny. You just did that Fox episode uh, a couple months ago, and they talked about growing up like a, in a conservative Christian household but having like supportive parents. That's I, I can echo that a lot. Um, and so my parents, you know, they, they grew up in the 70s, so they were big fans of like Bruce Springsteen and Elton John, and um, my dad likes – Aerosmith and Nazareth and that kind of stuff. And so we'd go on road trips and that's what they would play. They had CDs of those and we'd play them in the car over and over. So, you know, it'd be like Cadillac Ranch would come on, you know, and like uh, Goodbye Yellowbrick Road and that sort of thing. And so that definitely laid the foundation. But once I heard Led Zeppelin, I was like, I need to go like heavier and louder and more bombastic. You know, Elton John's too quiet. Like I need to go more. And so whatever year this would have been, like 07, 08, I would have been like the only kid who got into hair metal <laughs> because that was the next step was like, okay, I've heard Led Zeppelin, I've heard Aerosmith, but like I got to hear the guitars get faster and I got to hear the distortion get crisper. And so I got into like uh, like my favorite band back in the day was Whitesnake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. No, zero other teenagers <laughs> listening to White Snake. But no, yeah. So, for, for the listeners, for some clarity, how old are you, Joe? I'm 27. Right. You're 27. 20, 28. I right. Guess. So, most teenagers your age are not <laughs> like rocking White Snake shirts oh, and like, man. I love this band. Because that's, <laughs> that's more my era. Like, when I grew up, it's like, yeah, White Snake was huge, you know. And it's not even like you're the cool kid rocking the Metallica shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's White Snake. Yeah, you're a total <laughs> freak at this point. Yeah. Like, people are like, "Who are you? And where? What time? What time? Time machine hot tub did you just climb out of?" That's yeah. like you know, forty five year olds with uh, with like the highlights in their hair who oh, like easy are still now, <laughs> easy now. I got a wide listener base here. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> but but seriously, it really was like, you know, like uh, uh, soccer moms reliving their, their glory days in the 80s, you know, and then me. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. I, I, I love that, actually, that, like, you, you grasp it. So, all right, aside from Whitesnake, <laughs> it, it, what I, at some point, do you, like, pick up a guitar and learn a Whitesnake album, or where does this happen? Like, Yeah, where? so I took guitar lessons. Um, my, so, yeah, my parents were really supportive, and they did the classic parent thing. You know, you have kids, and it's like, you never know what's going to stick. Like, sports never stuck with me a ton, and so they'd, like, have me do expensive baseball classes and stuff. And I was just never like that into it. Um, so they did the same thing with guitar they're like, we're going to buy you a hundred dollars starter pack, you know, where it's like the guitar and then you get the amp and then like a couple picks and a cable or whatever, just horrible gear. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you know, if you stick with it for six months or a year or whatever, we'll continue to support you. And it was like the first thing that stuck. You know, and um, and I just played it all the time, and I was terrible, but it was, it was just all I wanted to do. And so they were like, all right, we'll do lessons. We'll do the whole thing. And I was just the kid that was willing to sit in my room on a 
Saturday night or whatever and just sit there and play along to Jimi Hendrix until it sounded kind of like Jimi Hendrix or, you know, whatever, play along to White Snake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, when you're a kid and you have all that free time, it's amazing how far that can go. So at, at some point after probably a year or so, I was like the kid on the block who played guitar. And I probably wasn't good, <laughs> you know, I, but I could... I could play, you know, paint it black or whatever. And and that was right around the time that Guitar Hero was, like, really popular. So kids my age actually were listening to, like, 70s and 80s music. And so I would play these songs that were on Guitar Hero, and people, like, amazed the neighborhood kids or whatever. Yeah. And then I'll give a shout-out real quick. There's this kid who lived down the street, Sean Ahern, and he did the same thing as me, but, like, he accelerated the pace like crazy. And so after, like, he, he didn't play at all. He asked me to be in his band because I played guitar, and he didn't really. And then he did the sit-in-my-room-alone thing for six months, and he just, like, blew past me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, we got a, we got a rivalry here. <laughs> got to keep up with this. <laughs> so was that your first ever band with him? Think about that. I don't know that kid from the Netherlands. His name was Arnaud. Um, I don't know if you could call that a band because, like, yeah. if you can't play any chords or I, I don't, I don't know at what point we <laughs> we call something a band. I guess that would probably be more just like experimenting, you know, like, like if you guys, you know, like one of those situations where like you're young and you're just, you know, you're kissing behind the garage. I wouldn't call him your first boyfriend. You know what I mean? I, I really like that comparison. I thought that was going to go so much worse than it did. I I, <laughs> I reined it back a little. Um, but, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Like you're banging around some instruments, getting a feel for you know that, that yeah, like, hey, this is kind of cool. But I would say you know once you start kind of songwriting with somebody or you playing more cohesively, that would qualify as a band. I don't know. I'd agree with that. And and actually, weirdly enough, for me, a big part of it was uh, playing in churches because, like I said, I grew up Christian. And I got to tell you, like, um, you know, you can say what you want about churches and religion and all that. But, like, if you're a guitarist or whatever, any pretty much any, like, classic rock instrument and you need gigs, like, all you want to do is play. You don't care what the gig is. Like, man, churches are churches are hungry. <laughs> and they'll, some of them will pay you. And like, so I, when I was a teenager, I, I would play at churches and they'd, like, let me play guitar solos and stuff. In and, Philly. Yeah, yeah. And I keep saying Philly. Uh, I, I lived north of Philly. It wasn't like, uh, I, I can't claim the, the streets or whatever. I lived in a very nice, you know, suburban area. It, um, but yeah, yeah. So we had a church and it, it, like a more liberal church. It wasn't like hymns or whatever. It was like rock music. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, they, they were very encouraging of the guitar habit and um, yeah, I, that's where I played the most probably until I was 15 or 16, probably. Oh shit. Just like church. <laughs> so a quick little, a quick little history for the listeners. Uh, Joe and I played together in a band for a f- couple years Yeah, couple called years. Artemis Ward, which unfortunately is not a thing still, Yeah, but that's how we got to know each other and we, we jammed quite a bit and, uh. I remember when you came to audition for that, <laughs> I said, well, what, what's your background? Like, what have you, what have you done before? You know, like what, and you were like, well, I played in churches. And I was like, oh dear. 
This is, this is go uh, well. yeah, but you you had a great outlook. You're like, look, I'm not like a you know super church going kind of guy. It just happened to be a gig. I could I could go play guitar live, and I was like, exactly. oh, I get that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was like kind of fascinating to me that that was like in your background, your upbringing. And I got to tell you, I still give credit a lot to like the church going folks who like are accepting of rock music and stuff. It's like that. I I have no qualm with that. It's like that. That's cool. Like you believe what you believe totally cool and you're not like trying to you're not burning books or whatever it's sure. like yeah just do what you want and thankfully that's most of the upbringing i had i'd say not all but it was a lot of that so overall pretty positive experience i i was in like youth group you know which again 99% positive experience and, uh, yeah, we'd have, like, gigs and stuff. And so, and honestly, for, like, a 16-year-old, that's amazing because you're playing to your peers. It's not just, like, the parents who come out. It's like, no, these are your, like, you go to school with these kids and stuff. And, yeah, we could just kind of play whatever we want as long as it's, like, whatever. They're safe for work, I guess, safe for church. <laughs> oh, <okay>. SFC, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we'd, like, rip guitar solos and there'd be, like, a double bass pedal and, I had this really cool youth pastor who was in, um, he was in like hardcore bands and stuff. So he'd get up there and just like rip blast beats and stuff. (laughs) Nice. It was a lot of fun. So church was really good for that. Um, And you were asking about the first band. Really the first time uh, I played a gig that was like a gig gig. It was, and it's funny saying that because it was the talent show. I was in the ninth grade. And again, I was listening to White Snake and stuff. <laughs> so we played uh, we played Mr. Crowley by Ozzy, and um, you know, obviously, it's got those like big guitar solo, you know, Randy Rhodes. And uh, I just remember, like, yeah, first big gig. Um, I went to a big school, so there were. I, I'm not claiming this as a science, but I think there were about 1,100 people. So like for. A, Six, 15 year old whatever I was that that's that's a big gig <laughs> and so um yeah, yeah we're up there and we had like a lighting crew and everything for the talent show like they really went all out it was really cool and um there's this part at the beginning of Mr. Crowley that's like an organ part and there was a part that uh we had like a keyboard player and then we were switching off like you play those chords on keyboard I play these on guitar and it got to the guitar part and they just like shut all the lights off and then it was just a spotlight on me and you've been on stages a bunch. Like you cannot see anything <laughs> when that happens. And I just was like fumbling around. I was so nervous. I remember my hand was shaking so much that it kept going on and off of the guitar frets. And so I was like missing notes and stuff. And I was like, Oh, it's ruined. Like this is the end of my guitar career. <laughs> and then the song kept going. And I learned that valuable lesson of like, you just keep playing. Like you, you don't stop. You don't start the song over. Like you just keep playing. Mm-hmm. And so then I, you know, played the guitar solos, you know, we got through the song and everything and we got like standing ovation. Like people were loving it. And, um, and that kind of became my like reputation for the rest of the year. And that, that was probably the high that was like, Oh, this is what I want to do. Like, I, I want to do this standing ovation, even though you flubbed the solo a bit, huh? Yeah. So like, if you would have nailed it, there would have been panties flying on the stage. <laughs> well, it, I almost wonder if it's like, that's you know, gross. I'm talking about <laughs> high school kids. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I forgot about the age the what we were the actual what we were talking <laughs> but about. as a 15 year old it would yeah. have been cool um <laughs> sure but uh yeah it, like 
I almost wonder if the fact that it was so on the edge, like he could fail at any moment and, you know, he's shaking up there and stuff. I, that might've made it cooler in a way. Mm-hmm. If I had gone up there and just played like, you know, like a kid who'd been playing since he was two years old or whatever, then it might not have been as cool. It would have been like, ah, he's a very talented, you know, guy who plays classical guitar or whatever. But this was like, it, it it felt it probably felt like I just picked up the guitar and didn't know how to play and I just randomly ripped a solo. So, um, but yeah, that was it was just like a really good feeling and I was like, okay, I I want to do this a lot now. Sometimes that's all it takes, right? Is that one little taste and you're like, yes, oh, this is cool. Man, I want to do this. It's like the first time you hear the music that really connects with you, and then yeah, the first time you play a gig that goes really well, and. Um, Someone was talking, I think it was a comedian who was talking about that, maybe like Mark Normand. And he said, like, um, I f- he, he said, I feel like a lot of comedians' careers, it's like a coin flip on that first gig. Like, if they get a laugh in the first gig, then they might say, like, oh, I want to do this all the time. But then if they bomb the first gig, they might say, like, oh, this, this is terrible. Like, I don't have the talent or whatever. And so. Sometimes I think about that. Like, I might have gotten lucky there <laughs> that people connected with it because if not, I might have just said, like, all right, I guess guitar is not my thing, you know. I got to move on to ice skating or whatever. Is yeah. that the next step? <laughs> uh, I would say, yes, figure skating. Figure sure. skating, yeah. That would be the next logical step. I A lot say. of failed guitarists in figure skating. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was true. <laughs> um, no, that's that's killer. That's an interesting perspective, you know. Yeah, like – how it could have gone either way, but the, the the gods of fate at that moment were like, clap for this kid. He's yeah. he was gonna keep doing this guitar thing. And I will say, like, the hours do play a part for sure. Like uh sometimes people people use the word talent. And I think it's just a weird word because it implies that like, you know, like you're you're an amazing singer. I don't think you got that way because you just like as a kid were belting out Judas Priest songs. Like I think you worked on it a little bit maybe. And that's like, that's what people sometimes don't see is all the hours spent alone honing your craft and everything. So um, as much as I want to believe that it's a coin flip, I think a lot of it is the preparation and just like ego. If you go up there with a giant ego, you're probably going to be worse than you think you are. And if you go up there, super humble, um, I mean, you still have to be like confident in what you're doing, but it it'll it'll go better than you think it does because the crowd is on your side; sure. they're not they're not rooting against you. So right, yeah, they can tell if you're humble or if you're an egomaniac. That it, that just comes through. It and does. man, that's a hard balance to find once you really hone your craft and like you know when we're on when we were on stage with Artemis, it's like. I think we were both pretty good at what we were doing and like you want to put on a good show, but you don't want to come across as like a douche, you know, mm-hmm. that's man, that's a hard line to walk, you know, sure. That probably took more time for me to learn than like the harmonic minor scale or something, you know, that's, that was a lot tougher for me. So you were talking about putting in the hard work, right? So, so you're a teenager, you play your, the talent show. Yeah, you get through the solo with no lights, which is hard to do. Right? Oh. <laughs> uh, but you do it; you get that ovation. Um, so, what like what's next? Where do you go from there? Because uh, obviously, you put that hard work into guitar. Is that just was that your main focus? Oh yeah, um, I uh, I was still playing sports terribly, but <laughs> playing sports at the time. 
But every free moment I had, I, I was either like playing video games or I was playing guitar or like, you know, chasing after girls or whatever, you know, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of guitar and like sacrificing a lot of social opportunities to play guitar. And um, so anyways, the band I played with, we, uh, the drummer, I'm really good friends with him to his day, uh, to this day, Conti, Matt Conti, uh, the drummer and I were like, yeah, we got to keep doing this. Like th- that was amazing. And so we started playing together regularly. Um, and just like every talent show that came up, every coffee house that came up, it's a little weird when you're 16 because you can't like tour the bar scene or whatever. Like I'm sure you could back in the day, but not in whatever this was, 2009, (laughs) like they're going to ID you probably. Uh, So it was just like almost all school-based. And then the other unique opportunity that we had just because of our age and everything was we had like YouTube. So we could post like, here's us jamming to Dio and throw it on YouTube and see what people think. And I had like a moderately successful well, successful for a 16-year-old, but I, I had a YouTube channel where I'd post, like, guitar lessons and us jamming together and stuff, and um, it, like, got monetized at one point. Like, you know, this is, like, early YouTube, so it was kind of fun. It, it was, like, a motivator, and it probably made me better because when you have to, like, sit there and teach. Like, I had a guitar lesson for Mississippi Queen, so I was on Guitar Hero again. goes full circle, but... Um, you know, I had to like sit there and learn it. So it probably like helped me put in more of the hours and everything. But yeah, then we like, we had a talent show where we played, uh, comfortably numb Pink Floyd. It was like every song that has a big guitar solo. That was what we were after. <laughs> and, and then we'd give Conti a, a drum solo at some point. Uh, but yeah, like we played Freebird multiple times. I can't tell you how many times I've played Freebird in my life. Um, it's a ripping song though. Like the. The leads, the guitar solo that they usually cut short on the radio is is killer. People love that song. Like, yeah, when you go to a show, there's always going to be a drunk guy who yells Freebird. But, like, I thought it would be more cliche than it is. People go crazy when you start playing that song. It's a good song. And I think to the layman, that's the craziest guitar solo. Like, because the the average non-guitar player isn't, like, checking out Steve Vai videos on YouTube. or Like, it's only guitarists doing that. So, (laughs) in terms of what gets played on the radio, it really is, like, Hotel California and and Freebird and I'm trying to think of other crazy... Like, those are kind of the crazy ones, especially Freebird. And so, if you play that to a bunch of non-guitarists, they think you're the best guitarist Sure. Never walk the earth because you can play Freebird, and <laughs> so yeah, always a good reaction. <laughs> oh yeah, and and if you're at a, like a band situation on stage and someone yells it out, you can fucking nail it. That's <laughs> like that's my goal from now on in life. It's like every time someone yells it, you play it all the way through. Yeah. Extended guitar solo at the end, like <laughs> fantastic. All right, so this is your Philly thing. Did you have another? Was that mostly what you were doing when you were there before you moved to Cleveland? Or were there other, any other band situations you were in? Or um, Again, we play. I, I ended up getting a guitar teacher who played jazz. His name's Larry Tamanini, and he's, like, absurdly good at the guitar. He, like, in terms of uh, music theory and jazz shapes and that sort of thing, he's so far beyond anything that I've learned, for sure. But, yeah, he got me, like, a little bit into jazz. I always, like, resisted because... At that point, I was probably listening to, like, slightly cooler music than White Snake. <laughs> it was probably, like, uh, I think I got into, like, Dream Theater. You know, it just kept getting more and more technical. And so it was Dream Theater and um, 
Again, like I, I remember seeing Joe Satriani when I was like 16. And that, again, that's another one of those moments of like, he's doing things on guitar that I don't understand and I need to learn them. And so anyways, um, yeah, I got a little bit into jazz. We would play coffee houses and we'd throw out like, we always played the song uh, Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And that like yeah. that was kind of like Freebird, where just the reaction was ridiculous because that song gets played at like sporting events and stuff. So everyone everyone knows it without knowing the name of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, a little bit of jazz in there. I've never picked up jazz seriously. I can play like major seven chords and stuff, but nothing nothing crazy. Um, but I my my palette was getting broader. I guess is my point. And um, so when I went off to college. I went to college um, kind of out by Pittsburgh. It was a little tiny college called Grove City, um, kind of middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And um, so at that point, my tastes were more diverse. Um, but actually, when I was in college, I didn't play that much. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird period of like, I don't know. I went to college and it was like, there are more girls here than I've ever seen in my life. You know, <laughs> it's amazing and playing intramural sports and stuff. So it wasn't bad. It was just, I felt like guitar took a little bit of a backseat and definitely like the band stuff took a backseat. And it's weird to look back on because, you know, I was 18, 19. And for a lot of people, a lot of musicians, like that's when they're taking it the most seriously. That's when you've got like the most fire under you. It's when you really believe that you're going to make it and everything and I was like doing the college thing mm-hmm. so um I don't know how much that like stunted me or whatever but <laughs> um yeah it's funny to think about because all I talk about is music but during that time I yeah yeah it was a little different huh so when do you pick it back up then because you you obviously get very serious about it and so you you had you were a blog writer too right didn't you is that something that you trying to think i'm sure i've written a blog at some point are you not is that not a thing i maybe i'm misinformed um let me think i mean i've always had the internet's been a part of my life my whole life because again because of my age i i hit it right at that sweet spot of like uh there were real websites when i was a kid it wasn't just like every other link is a horrible virus that's going to kill your computer. <laughs> I was just talking to someone about, remember how dangerous the internet used to be? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You'd Google something, you had no idea what was going to go on your computer. Mm, made it and, more fun, more exciting. <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, yeah, so I, I've always, like, talked to people online and stuff. You know, I was the guy in the YouTube comment section arguing about the best guitarists or whatever. So I guess in a sense, I, I, you know, I discovered Reddit when I was in high school and Reddit is like the ultimate place. If you're the guy who argues in the comment section like that, that's, that's your mainstay right there. So, uh, I've probably written like novels worth of like my dissertation on why, you know, uh, 10 years gone by Led Zeppelin is their best song or whatever. (laughs) Um, but yeah, yeah. Big internet presence for sure. Um, just nothing too formal, I'd say. Because um, <laughs> like knowing you for the past few years, like your your knowledge of 
rock and metal <laughs> bands and members and albums and songs is just in, insane. Like, I'm like, how does this dude remember all of this? Like, when does that happen? Like, I've, you just were a student of it all? Like, Yeah, whenever I get really into something, I just nerd out about it. Uh, music's been one of the only things that has stuck around the whole time where I just constantly want to learn more. It's like that and I'm really into space. Those are like my two things. Um, but yeah, it was like, oh, I like that Aerosmith song. Now I need to learn the entire history of Aerosmith and listen to their entire catalog from start to finish in a day or whatever. And um, so then I go on Reddit and then it's like, oh, these people are just as nerdy about music as I am. And so I just dug deep. And uh, the the if you want to talk about metal, the real like solidifying moment there was um, I saw the band Opeth when I was in high school. And that was my probably my first like metal show. Hmm. And that just like blew my mind. I, I had never seen anything like that before. I'd been to shows. I'd probably even seen like heavy bands before. I had never seen anything like that where the room is shaking. It was at this old place in this little town called uh, Stroudsburg in Pennsylvania. It's like north of Philly. And, um, the venue is called the Sherman Theater. It's from like the 1920s. And there's a chandelier at the top. And, you know, Opeth's a death metal band. So that chandelier was just like going crazy through the whole show. And I thought my world was going to end. And <laughs> I was just like, yeah, this is it right here. Um, and so after that, it was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about metal. I'm, there, no corner is going to be left untouched. And uh, so it became encyclopedic for a, a while there. I think I've lost it a little bit. People could probably reference metal bands now that are like up and coming and I might not know them at this point, but <laughs> it's yeah, that in classic rock, I, I'm a, I can be a jukebox <laughs> in that regard, <laughs> but it's just nerdiness. It's just, yeah. it's just wanting to know everything. <laughs> and you're playing guitar to these, all, like as you're learning about all these different bands, are you trying to learn like, yeah. The styles and are you mimicking that or what, what are you, where are you learning all this stuff? Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think if I were to drop some names, I'd say like, uh, Vivian Campbell from Dio's band. He, he was one where it was rainbow in the dark, the guitar solo. I was like, again, just mind blowing. And I'm like, okay, I need to learn this. Like this, this can't be left out of my grasp. And so I'd sit there and like, it's not, uh, it's not doing anything too crazy theory wise. It was just like, I couldn't do that. So I had to learn it. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, again, Joe Satriani surfing with the alien, that song would just, I would play it over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, when you get into stuff like death metal, it's just a totally different set of rules. The chords are different and. I didn't understand the rhythm at first. I was like, this doesn't feel like, you know, ACDC like that. No, there it's like a, a blast beat and they're, they're hitting everything at once. How does that work? Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, I just try to mimic those sounds and, uh, to some success, I'm sure <laughs> maybe not all, but you know, it's always fun making noise. Um, Zach Wilde was a big one. Uh, that was around the time when he and Ozzy, were just like ruling the world. And so, uh, you know, he was everywhere. If you went into the YouTube comment section, he was the best guitarist on earth at that time. Uh, Tom Morello, you know, I got into rage against the machine and that was mind blowing sure. again. So just like, yeah, 
mimicking every guitarist I possibly could as much as I could. And of course, when you do that, you learn like, oh, that my amp doesn't have distortion on it. <laughs> that that's going to be a problem. <laughs> why, why don't I sound like you know? <laughs> why don't I sound like Cannibal Corpse? Oh, because I'm playing in the clean channel. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was all beneficial. For then sure. you become a gear gearhead freak, oh, right? Like, that's when they get you. Yeah, I've seen your pedal board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a cheap gearhead, though. I'm I'm like, if it costs more than fifty dollars. Then I then I I balk on it. So, mm. so uh, it's all used gear, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the nice thing about used gear, so every guitar I've ever owned, I've dropped down the stairs at some point. Like it's just an inevitability, or I've like stepped on them or whatever. And so I buy them all heavily used, like Guitar Center chips in the wood, knobs missing, strings in horrible shape. Like that's how I buy them because then like I can't damage them more than they already are <laughs> it's there you go it's it's already so like the telly i play now is um i got it for like six hundred dollars it's an american telly and because it's like you can see the wood on it it's like bruce springsteen's guitar or something and uh i like the aesthetic but it's also like it, it's fun to go on the hunt and get a good deal you know sure. so definitely a little bit of a gearhead but um but cheap <laughs> sure that's good to be thrifty yeah, I like to think so. Yeah. Okay, so so you moved to Cleveland, and yep. I'm sorry, I'm moving around my chair. Uh, so you moved to Cleveland, and then what's what? Where does your music? Uh, where does it? Where do you go from there once you're here? Yeah, yeah. I immediately looked at uh, open mics um, at the tail end of college. I got back into playing in bands and stuff, and so that like reignited the fire. And uh, nothing stuck. It was just like, oh, there's this cool event. Let's get a bunch of guys together and play it. Um, but I realized, like, yeah, I want to I want to be in the scene. And so I would just show up to open mics. Um, there's a place over in Lakewood called uh, Brothers. Mm-hmm. Brothers Lounge. Is that still open? It's still open, I Is think. It? Yeah. Okay. I went to open mics there. I would go every Thursday. I have, like, an 8 to 5 uh, desk job. I'm an engineer. But... I would go every Thursday and I'd get home at like two thirty in the morning and be at my desk job. But that's a blues club main, mainly. Yeah. And that I, I like metal a lot. It's probably the genre I know the best, but, uh, when I discovered Jimi Hendrix, I became like a blues player. And so those blues open mics were just really comfortable for me. It's like, Oh, pentatonic scale. Cool. I'm in. Mm hmm. And so I just show up to those all the time. Um, and then again, the church thing, it was like, there's this church. I'll leave them unnamed in case I say anything bad. <laughs> I don't want to slander local Cleveland stuff. If you don't, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but this church just like needed players. And um, for me, it was like, oh, that's a regular gig. And uh and some of the gigs I played at this church, when there was a big event, it was like 800 people or so. I mean, that's a big gig. It's more than I've ever played with my own music, you know. And and again, it was one of these churches where it's like, if you rip a guitar solo, it's cool. And uh, so for me, it was perfect because I was new to the to the scene. I just, my college girlfriend and I had broken up. I was single. So it was like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to play guitar all the time. Oh, this church wants me to play all the time. Cool. Let's do it. And so, yeah, I would play like, uh, oh man, probably 20 or 30 hours a week or something. Do they pay you? No. Oh, it's all pro bono. (laughs) (laughs) 
that, that's a we need a separate podcast to talk about. <laughs> I thought maybe since Church they didn't one. pay taxes, they had extra money to <laughs> yeah. pay the guitar player. No, you would think not so. so much. I could throw a lot of shade, but I'll 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 try to. That's be why cool. we didn't say the name of the church. Yeah, right, Just, right. right? <laughs> no, but, it's all good. They yeah. gave you an opportunity to play your guitar. That's sweet. I was just hungry to play. Yeah. in front of people, and um, that's why I got. And I I still have like drummers I play with to this day who I met there. Um, I you're still my... hungry after all those communions. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah a they, lot, it's a lot of crackers and wine. They left me hungry. I don't know what that says, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just kidding. Go on. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, I, I, yeah, met drummers. Uh, met my girlfriend Britta, who you, you know, mm-hmm. um, met her at church. Like, so I, again, I, uh, I uh, can't slander it too much, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, regular gig, and I did that for a while. Like, I think... Uh, and that's here in Cleveland, though? Yeah, that was in Cleveland. And I did that... I mean, again, I was playing open mics and stuff because I just wanted to play. But, yeah, I think Artemis was probably the first actual band that I played with in Cleveland. Oh, cool. So you, you were jamming with uh, with me and the Artemis thing for uh, a couple years, and then... Yeah. When does the mud whale thing happen? It's, I, obviously, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, late 2019. Okay, right. I'm trying to think with the with the other name, and then it becomes mud whale. Yeah, and then your your the first release that I saw was 2021. Yes, uh, yeah. At that point in 2019, we were playing in the local circuit, May halls, all that good stuff. Um, then yeah, the big the big event happened. Oh, COVID. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that that, that, that sounds like event. we got a huge gig or something. No, <laughs> no, no, no. The pandemic happened, mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, so obviously that put everything on hold. But again, it gave us time to record the album, put the album out. Twenty twenty one. A couple of music videos. Um, worked with a really talented guy named Todd Thompson on uh, for our song Scapegoat. It's just like it was amazing his level of the part of it is the, the craft, you know, obviously he's really serious about it, but it was also the dedication of like, you know, we, when you're in a band, you, you think of yourselves as just these like nobody, whatever's. And he put so much dedication into it and turned out amazingly well. So the production on that sounds really, really good. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, engineer's name was Dave Pytech and I, think he doesn't record anymore okay we were like one of his last Mm. he it was in the in the um garage of this place over by case western just like you would have never you you thought like a beat-up cadillac was parked in there or something but he had this whole studio and um yeah i think he i don't think he does anymore but uh, and he's a professional, like he worked with um, Jimmy World and Mushroom Head and, you know, like established bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, did a really good job. And uh, yeah, it all came out really well. And yeah, since then, it's been like gigs. Um, and we have uh, new music that'll be coming out pretty soon. So, and the vibe of Mudwhale, like, so within the emo genre, mm-hmm. which I, I'm not super versed in that, like, but I would say it almost has like a Thursday vibe to it. Does that sound fair? Yeah, sure. Like um, for f- like fans of Thursday might dig 
fans of Thursday, Circus Survive is a name that would get tossed out a lot. Um, actually, a band from my like actual hometown outside of Philly. Uh, they're called uh, Balancing Composure. I don't think they're around anymore, but. I was actually friends with like the brother of one of the members, but I had never listened to him. <laughs> and I joined this band, and I'm like, "Oh, these guys like worship balancing composure." Like, I I knew those guys. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, that's another one that's kind of tangential to what we do. Um, we try to mix it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we have a song called "Nutrient Burn" that that was like our first single, and that one is a little more like. Uh, if someone's not into like hardcore or emo or something like that, that's the song I'm going to show them because it just sounds a little more just like a rock track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, we do like the screaming, you know, emo, post-hardcore. A little bit of screaming, though. It's not a ton. It's, it's like- yeah. At our heaviest, it'll be some screaming. Mm-hmm. But the clean vocals always come back in. And um, and so you guys are getting ready. You're So you're... The songs are written for the new material or the new album or? Yeah. So I am hesitating to say album just because that might be, that might not quite be the level of content that we put out, but maybe an EP. Yeah. I think EP is fair. Um, We've got one song that we've been uh, playing live for the last couple gigs and it's, it's ready to go. So um, I don't, I I don't think we've set a date yet and I don't want to, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to give the wrong information, but this year is is the way I'd say it. And then um, I guess by the time this comes out, we'll have already done it. But yeah. <laughs> we've got a, a mini tour that we're doing um, starting at the Beachland here in Cleveland. And then we're doing Detroit, Chicago, Indy, and finishing it in Columbus. That's uh, June 10th to uh, 14th. I can't do math. I'm an engineer. Just four days? Uh, five days, so 14th or 15th, whatever, whatever that last Columbus date, right <laughs> yeah, just add them up. <laughs> That's, That's cool though. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. That'll be our first, like we play Cleveland, we play Akron, but that'll be our first, like going to another true, truly another scene. And, um, it's kind of about time. So it'll do you already fun. know who's going to record the new material since the other, the other place isn't around anymore at this time i'll say that that's not a hundred percent decided gotcha. so i won't we have a couple people in mind and i'll say like cleveland you know you can walk down the street and you're going to run into a talented recording artist so um lots of options but we've got a couple people who we we personally really like and they do good work so We'll we'll give them credits and everything when it comes out so and is songwriting split up in mud whale is it so our singer Mike, he is the visionary of Mudwale. Um, I'll admit I don't know emo that well. I don't know post hardcore that well. Um, sometimes I call myself just the bass player, but <laughs> you know I do a little more than that. But <laughs> my Mike's vision, like if you think I don't love this word, but if you think of the Mudwale brand then you, I can pretty much point to Mike and say, yeah, he 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 had an idea and he rolled with it, and sure. I'm happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And then, all right, so, that, so you know, since we're recording this a little early, so yeah. in, at, by the time this comes out, people or listeners would be able to go and maybe find the new material, hopefully. We, we hope so, yeah. Um, or at least soon. 
And then is there anything else that you have going on personally, musically, that you want to talk about? Yeah. So in the time I've spent making music with people, something that I realized I was always avoiding it and I'm not totally sure why, but I realized that like, Hey, I just really enjoy, um, like guitar led instrumental music. And it probably goes back to like Joe Satriani. Um, there's this shredder named Jason Becker who just like blew my mind when I, when I was getting really serious and that music has just kind of always stuck around for me. And I've realized I really like it when it's uh, catchy. Like, mm-hmm. I, some of it loses me a little bit. Again, I'm not going to throw shade at anyone. But when it gets too, uh, what's the word, like, scale you know, too, too many arpeggios, it, I, I, my ears kind of fuzz out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I really like these guys who just go up there and they play, like, a really melodic line you know like someone like carlos santana almost where it's just really melodic guitar playing and again with my love for like metal and grunge and that sort of thing i was like man what if i did that in a kind of a heavier way and like a little bit darker and so um yeah i've been working on this project it's called harmonic drift Mm -hmm. it's my very um pretentious (laughs) side coming out (laughs) but it's just going to be um fun Slightly darker, slightly heavier. Um, I've described it as like, you know, if someone like Joe Satriani or Carlos Santana got really into grunge and they, you know, they're like, I want this melodic guitar playing, but I want it to be angry. (laughs) Sure. Um, And it's going to cover a little bit of genre overlap. Like, I really like funk music. There's this band called Wolfpack that just for me, is like the pinnacle of having fun on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll cross genres a little bit, but um, the the general vibe, I'd say, is like almost like Alice in Chains with, with guitar leads. A little bit of shred, you know, I can't help myself, but I'm sure. not going to go total like Yngwie Malmsteen. (laughs) A focus on melody. And my my ultimate goal with the project is I want to make instrumental music that a non-guitarist would sit down and say, like, oh, that's nice music. Um, There are these instrumental songs that have been accepted into the public canon. Um, A song like Edgar Winter Frankenstein. It's just, you know, that's not a guitarist song. That's just everyone likes that. Or uh, Tequila. It's like everyone likes tequila. Everyone likes Wipeout. And I just kept thinking, like, yeah, I think there's there's a there's a market there. I, I think, you know, people people like instrumental music more than they think they do. They just don't like when it reaches this point of I don't understand what's going on right now. Sure. And so that's my goal. It's just, you know, fun, sometimes dark, melodic instrumental. Interesting. Uh, really looking forward to hearing that. Oh yeah, it should be a lot of fun because different sounds unique. You know, it's cool. Yeah, I and I, again, like that's always a hard thing as a musician is you never feel totally unique. You know, it, uh, that's a tough. Uh, you you can always trace back your your influences, but um, I just I've always liked playing live. That's my favorite thing. I like being in the studio enough, but live that's Again, it goes back to playing Mr. Crowley. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, there's that feeling of like, wow, people are reacting to this. And that's, 
I want it to work well in a live setting where you can show up to a bar and at first no one's paying attention to you and by the end everyone's having fun. Yeah. That's cool. the goal. That's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> so um so this, since this episode will come out in the future, yeah. um how how are you going to promote that under Harmonic Harmonic Drift, Drift is the name. Um I and, assume you'll have Facebook and Instagram stuff like that set up. Yeah, and it's uh, as of now, I want to go there now. Right. <laughs> it's going to be a little boring, but, uh, yeah, at some point it's going to be all the classic. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram. I might even try to learn how to use TikTok. Yeah. I'm going to feel like, I don't, I don't know what movie it is, but, uh, Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. where he's like 50, but he's like skateboarding in, in the high school. And, and it's like the, there's a meme. It's like, you know, how do you do fellow kids? It's like, that's going to be me on TikTok. <laughs> I, I understand it. Yeah. Watch it. You know, it's going to be like 19 year olds twerking or whatever. Even that's like a dated reference. 19 year olds doing their Dua Lipa covers. And that it's just going to be this dude on his guitar. It's like, what's he doing here? Hey, you'll, you'll figure it out. It's, there's a market for that. And then obviously like Spotify, um, the distributors make it so easy now. Any, anywhere you listen to music, it'll, it'll be available. Awesome. And you and I have talked about collaborating on something like that. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. My, that's another thing is, um, I've gotten really into like music promotion strategies and stuff. That's my new nerd thing. Um, but collaborating is also just fun. It's a really good promotional strategy, but it's also just fun. Mm-hmm. If you have a good relationship with someone else, like being able to make music with them, um, no egos or anything, just sitting down and saying like, Hey, we both enjoy this. Let's do it on stage. Um, there's something about that. And so one of the goals I'm setting for myself is like no rules. Don't, don't set rules. Don't, you know, don't think that every song has to fit exactly a certain thing. Don't feel like you have to work with exactly the same people every time. Just have fun. When people are into it and they want to be a part of it, bring them in. You know, get those vibes going. But I just, I've spent a lot of time setting rules for myself. And now I'm I'm reacting strongly in the opposite of, hey, whatever's working what everyone's really feeling, what people are reacting to, that's the vibe. Don't, you know, there's that classic sophomore slump where a band or an artist will put out a really good starting album and then they feel like they have to do it again. And it's like the first album is the first album. Like, do what you want after that. Do whatever's um, your passion at the time. And so, I mean, obviously, like, you're always going to come back to your favorite things, your your favorite styles. So it's not what I want to say that's going to meander too much. But if someone, you know, if a trombone player really wants, you know, really digs what I'm doing and wants to be part of it, I'm like, hey, we got a good vibe. Let's do it. And you can always make something cool happen. And you're not going to lose your, you know, inspiration or your the people you're motivated from. But not having those boundaries or rules is just that's the way to create art really it's like remove all that and that's where it be the most pure i would say definitely on the creative side i think certain limitations are good like setting time limits that's awesome otherwise you can take five years to put out one song but in terms of i need to sound like this one of my big struggles was like i always thought you need to have vocals and then i had this moment where 
one of those guys, like Joe Satriani or Eric Johnson, one of those guitarists was coming around and he like sold out a theater near us, like 3,000 people. And I'm like, oh, you don't need vocals. Yeah. <laughs> like the band Wolfpack that I brought up earlier, they're, they became pretty famous because they sold out Madison Square Garden. And they're, they do some vocals, but this is like a 70s throwback funk band. And I don't know how many people Madison Square Garden holds, 12,000 or something, but they sold it out. Yeah, crazy. So it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter that much what the music is. It's To me, it's like more the authenticity and then also the reaction you're getting. And so if people are really reacting to it and you're doing what truly, not only what comes best to you, but like just what you really want to do. It's like, this is what I want to do. If you stick with that, people are going to react. Like you might not sell at Madison Square Garden, but... People are going to see that genuine output and everything. And I think the worst thing that you could do is like do something because you think someone else wants you to do that. It's a terrible road to go down. And in my opinion, it doesn't work. Like everyone makes fun of Justin Bieber and those kinds of people. But in my opinion, Justin Bieber is just doing what he likes to do. And I don't know how many people, he has like 80 million monthly listeners or something. So people are reacting to it and, I can't be, I, I think if he did something inauthentic, it wouldn't, he wouldn't get all those people, you know, no one would listen to him because they'd just say, this guy's trying to sound like this other person, you know, this guy hasn't found his voice yet. And it's like, we might not like Justin Bieber, but that dude found his voice. <laughs> you know? So I'm just trying to be like Justin Bieber a little more every day. <laughs> just, Joe, before you dig yourself in any further of a hole. Okay. <laughs> No, um, you're a super talented dude and a rad human, and uh, I think you're going to do really well. So I look forward to seeing and hearing your projects in the future. And being part of it, man. Maybe being a part of some stuff, throwing yeah. some uh. throwing some vocals in some of your like tequila-esque songs. Oh, yeah. Or we can just cover tequila. Why okay. not? That's a fun song. So what's going on with you? Let's hear about... Uh... With me? Oh, no. That's for another day. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. No, I I know you got uh, a couple things in the pipeline, but yeah, if you're not ready to talk about them, that's cool. Uh, a new musical project called Ellis and the Kin. I'll just throw that out there. Check out Ellis and the Kin. Um, but anyway, Joe, thank you so much for coming down. It was a really good talk. Oh, dude, this was awesome. Um, I I'm, I just love what you're doing with this podcast. I, I know I tell you about it every single time I, <laughs> I see you, how much I love it. But, you know, Cleveland's got such a cool music scene. Um, you know, I, I we could do a separate podcast where I just talk about all the bands I love in Cleveland. You know, Axioma and, and Herzog and Molo Rio. And there's just so many cool bands. And it's missing a, a voice of someone to say, you know, Cleveland isn't just this whatever the mistake on the lake or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the impression that I had of Cleveland before, it, it's, you know, it's the rock capital. It, it's it's the birthplace of rock in a way. And it's still alive in that way. And I've seen it now that th- this place, it's not just the artists that are here, but also the audience is just alive. And so having someone who, you know, is going to talk about it regularly and say like, here are the bands and like, hear what they have to say. And this is what they're doing. I mean, that's huge. Cause you know, imagine if, um, the Seattle scene hadn't had anyone to speak for them. Like we would have never heard of Nirvana and Soundgarden. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I don't want to be pretentious, but like, 
you know, Cleveland's got cool stuff going on too. And who knows if it's Nirvana level, but it, it's, but we have a great music scene. We really do. And, and it's not just a Cleveland thing. It's like people from all over can enjoy it. I mean, mud whale, we get people commenting all the time on our stuff from Brazil. Yeah. And it's, that's just like mind blowing is like these folks who, um, you know, speak a, different primary language and they live thousands of miles away and they're, like they're really digging this tiny band out of mm-hmm. <laughs> out of Cleveland that you know doesn't think of themselves as anything so i think you're you're uh an example of how to bring more light to a scene like this um to bring it to the masses a little more but also just to understand it a little better dig in and really get to the heart of it. And it's not just like, ah, oh, there's a couple cool bands out of Cleveland or whatever. It's like, no, they got a scene going on there and the people in it are really cool. So yeah. anyways, I could go on for hours, but I just really appreciate what you do. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on here. Well, thanks man. That means a lot and I'll keep doing it, you know? Oh yeah, you will. <laughs> yeah. As long as I can. As long as Jeremy, you're going to keep this place open for a little bit. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> then I'll keep doing the podcast. Thanks, Joe. I'm going to yell at you if you ever. <laughs> appreciate those kind words. Ang- angry texts and voicemails. <laughs> and to our future Brazilian listeners, thank you as well. <laughs> so, Joe, look forward to seeing and hearing projects in the future and collaborating, whatever we do. Uh, and thanks for coming down. It was a really good talk. Thanks, Billy. I'm, I'm going to see you around. It sounds so silly. I'm going to see you like <laughs> you know, two will, days from now. Yeah, well, I'll see you around. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll see We'll uh, see you at the next episode. And uh, be well, be safe. And don't forget, don't let your meatloaf, and don't let your snail trail. All right, everybody, take care. See you next time. <laughs>